All right, so welcome back. We're going to continue our journey regarding the brain's attention system. And actually, for this segment, I'm inviting you to my lab. We're going to take a little tour of what it is that we know about attention by actually seeing how we conduct research with brain electrical recordings to understand why it is that the brain's attention system is so powerful. So let's say you did end up coming to my lab at the University of Miami. One of the first things that we'd ask you to do if you'd agree to be one of our participants is have you sit down and we'd outfit you with a very funky looking swim cap. I mean, we call it a swim cap, but actually it's a high-tech brainwave recording hat or cap. And though it looks like an elastic swim cap, it has electrodes embedded in it. And in our case, 64 electrodes. And each of those electrodes is going to be able to pick up the ongoing electrical fluctuations that are happening in your brain all the time tied to the firing of your neurons. And it's a really cool thing. Usually the graduate students or, or research assistants will have you sit down and they'll fill each of those electrodes with a little bit of salt gel that allows us to bridge your scalp with the electrode itself. Once you're all set up and that electrode cap is ready to go, we'd move you into the recording booth where we're gonna plug you into our amplifier while we have you do an actual experiment. And what is so fun about these experiments, and I think people enjoy it when they can be on the outside of the booth watching brain electrical activity, is that this is what our brains are doing all the time. Usually we're not privy to it, but there is so much happening, so many thousands and thousands of small batches of neurons firing. And what this brainwave cap allows us to do is pick up the voltage fluctuations at a very high sampling rate. So we're looking at things at the millisecond time scale, which means a thousandth of a second. What's really uh, useful about this approach is that we can present stimuli on a computer screen. So the person could be seated you know, a few inches from the screen with the electrode cap on. They're plugged into the amplifier. Outside of the, the little recording booth we have, we'll be watching their brain activity. And what we do is present the same kind of visual stimuli on a screen over and over and over again. And we got, we've got to do this many times because even though there's ongoing electrical activity, there's so much happening that we have to pull out the signal from the noise. And so the signal in this case would be the same brain response that we get to a particular visual stimulus. One really good thing that uh, the brain can do, you may not be surprised to know, is perceive faces. So that tends to be one of my favorite kinds of stimuli to look at with the overall project to really try to understand how attention impacts perception, right? So we're still on the topic of attention, but we're gonna use faces because they end up being a very strong and powerful way to get the brain to show a, a, a very reliable response. So if I showed you a series of faces on a screen over and over again, about 170 milliseconds after a face popped up on the screen, I would see a reliable voltage fluctuation. And it so reliably occurs about 170 milliseconds later after the face is presented that we call it the N170. The N is just for negative, which happens to be its direction. But the N170 component happens 170 milliseconds after you see a face. It's tied to face perception and it reliably shows a nice, strong response to the perception of faces. So that's gonna be our, our, our key window into perception. 
And once we've established that the N170 is seen, and most individuals show this, there's very few. In fact, I think there's only one person I've had in the lab where we didn't get it. We ended up finding out that that person had a, a face, an inability to actually perceive faces, a very unusual uh, kind of condition called prosopagnosia. But most of us can perceive faces. We see the configuration. We get the response. So what we do when we want to study attention and face perception is we design and devise these kind of unusual stimuli. And I'll just have you visualize it, and you can see it on the slide as well. You've got a face. Just imagine you cut out all the features that aren't just the face, because we want to have it be not tied to hair or somebody's outfit or anything in the background, just the face. And what we do using some just simple software is we overlay it with another kind of image. So at the same time, you're perceiving sort of two things with one transparent over the other. The other image is a scene, an image of a scene. So it could be indoor or outdoor, a house, a landscape, an ocean view, whatever it is, something that is a scene you might see. Both are taking up the same amount of visual space on the screen, and you can make out both. You can see that, yes, there's a face there, and yes, there's a scene there. So what we do is we show people these overlaid face scene images over and over again. We probably have to show them a couple of hundred. And what we're going to look for is the response of the N170. Now, again, we're trying to manipulate attention. So what we do is we'd say, okay, for the next five minutes, when you see these face scene overlays, pay attention to the face. Every time you see a stimulus, tell me if the face was... Think of some decision you might have to make. So, for example, does the face male or female from your sort of prototypical view of what a male or female face might look like? And then press a button to tell us. Or if we're having them pay attention to scenes, we might say, just tell us if the scene is indoor or outdoor. And then we basically see how right they are. This gives us some confidence that they're paying attention to the right kind of stimulus for the series of trials where we guide their attention. And what's very exciting is that attention to faces versus scenes impacts the amplitude of this brain signature, the N170. When you are showing the subjects this face house overlay and they pay attention to the face, the N170 is stronger. Its amplitude is higher. It's almost like the flashlight is shining on the face itself, even though there's a scene right there. And if we ask them to pay attention to the scene, the N170 is actually smaller. So what ends up happening is we see a difference in the amplitude of the N170. There's a gap, right? So a higher amplitude response when you pay attention to faces than when you pay attention to the scene. Now think about that for a minute. It's happening like faster than my, the snap of my fingers, right? 170 milliseconds, about half the time it took me to snap my fingers. Your brain is already changing the way it perceives based on what you guided somebody to pay attention to. This is a very, very interesting aspect of the brain's attention system. When we say it's powerful, we really mean it. It biases all of the brain's information processing. All of a sudden, if I tell you to pay attention to the face, the brain's computational resources have been reorganized so that that's the most important thing. As soon as it sees the face, it gives a large response. But if I say, faces don't matter, pay attention to the scene, even though there's a face on the screen, the brain is just not going to acknowledge it in the same way. It's almost dulling down the face because it's trying to pull out 
the perceptual information about the scene. All right, so we'll call that difference in the response of the N170 when you pay attention to faces versus scenes as sort of the gap of attention, this kind of privileged amount of processing that we see in the brain's perceptual ability. And once we establish that, once we establish that with these brain recordings, we can see the benefits of attention in perception, we could do a whole bunch of stuff to try to figure out what amplifies that, what makes it even stronger, and actually what compromises it, what actually disables or diminishes attention's power. Both are very important to know. So that's what I'd like to turn to next. Now that you know about these brainwave recordings and, for example, the N170 and the power of attention to bias perception, I'm gonna tell you about another study that we did related to the N170. So this time what we did, and you might say, oh, that's not so nice to do, but you know, we're researchers, we, we wanna try everything out. What we wanted to actually see is what happens when you've got distracting and stressful information that's presented to a participant. So it's the same experiment I just told you about, a series of face scene overlays shown over and over again while they're getting their brainwaves recorded. But what we do is every now and then we'd insert a disturbing image. So it could be environmental destruction or a violent scene or some other kind of sort of catastrophe. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say this, but really it's everything you might see on your newsfeed. We're, we're only taking media images. So we see these kind of images probably thousands of times just scrolling through our, our phone at some point. So they were very common, but we wanted to see what would happen to attention because the goal of the participant was the same. Pay attention to what we tell you to pay attention to and respond in the way we need you to, right? So they're still telling us if the face is male or female or the scene is indoor or outdoor. But this is what was sort of the bad news story here is when we presented those totally irrelevant, distracting and negative images, stressful images, what we found is that that gap of attention diminished. So attention just stopped working in the way it normally did. It just couldn't separate out what was important and what was not. And so again, as I said, you know, if you have sometimes under high stress circumstances, this feeling of sort of fogginess or not being able to feel like you're as clear and attentive as you would like to be, your brain's responses suggest that's actually the case. So this was a powerful learning for us that negative and distracting external stimuli can actually diminish attention. But as we all know, we don't actually even need to look at the external world to suffer negative and distracting information. We can generate it in our own minds, right? And that's the next place that I wanted to go with some of our research. I wanted to find out what happens to attention, this same N170 attention effect, now, when we have people create their own distraction, and you might say, well, how are you going to do that? Because if you tell them to distract themselves, they're actually doing what you said. So they're not really distracting themselves. They're, they're doing another task, right? Um, and that's true. It's very hard to, to get people to, to distract themselves on command. But we found a way. And I'm hoping, hoping you're not experiencing the way we found right now as you're listening to me speak. Because what we found out that we had to do for people to distract themselves is bore them. All we had to do was make this experiment so boring that they happily started distracting themselves. And they did what we call mind wandering, right? So mind wandering is, I'm going to use the technical kind of description here, is having off-task thoughts during an ongoing task or activity. The task is the same, pay attention to faces, 
but now they're having this off-task internal wandering, right? They're distracting themselves away from the task at hand. So let me tell you about what this experiment was. It's very similar to the one I described, but even, like I said, more boring. All we did is we presented a series of faces over and over again, just a simple face, black and white, everything interesting about it was kind of cut out. And they'd see one about every half second or so. Every time they saw a face, they had to press a button. That was it. You can imagine that's pretty boring because nothing exciting is happening. It's just face after face after face. Even though faces are interesting, I guess they're not all that interesting after a while. The only sort of catch of this experiment was that every now and then, the face would be upside down. And when the face was upside down, you were to withhold the response. So don't press the button when you see an upside down face. But there's no question it's upside down, right? I mean, you see it perceptually. There's, it's not like it's presented for so short of a time that you might have missed it. But if you were mind wandering, you missed it. And that's what we saw. We stopped the experiment every now and then also and asked people just to confirm, how on task are you? Is your mind on the task or are you distracted away? And what we found is when people made errors, when they pressed the button to that upside down face or when they told us, yes, I'm mind wandering, I'm distracted, the gap of attention shrunk again. So again, not just external distraction, but internal internally generated distraction, mind wandering, diminishes the power of attention as well. So my actually point in inviting you to lab for this little tour that I gave you, uh, just through my words, of course, hopefully the picture I painted was um, helpful, is to let you know that you know we've done as precise of a job as we possibly can to determine the ability of the brain to actually show changes when we direct people to pay attention. And it is the case that attention powerfully impacts perception, but it's not foolproof. And it, even though it's powerful, it's fragile. And there is sort of kryptonite for attention. And the two things that I've shared with you so far, they're sort of very potent forms of kryptonite, are negative mood, for example, that can be created by negative images that we might see, external distraction, and internal distraction. So both external and internal distraction diminish the power of attention. So I think this part of the lecture really is intended to tell you that it is the case that the brain resource of attention is needed for everything we do and that when it doesn't work so well, it's impacting our ability to function very fast and reliably. <laughs>